Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, please accept my apologies for being late this morning. Bottom line is we left the house too late, and that relates to uh, something that actually should have happened last night. Uh, there was a big update scheduled for my computer, but I didn't know it was a big update. I thought it was a small one, and my pattern is usually to get up early on a Sunday and just print up my sermon. So I turned on the computer, and there's, it's a huge update. So I'm furiously trying to um, write out my sermon from memory. You'd be happy to know I did a quite good job. Um, but uh, the computer did finally finish updating, printed out the sermon, left the house later than we should have, and then we hit traffic up here. And uh, so we arrived late. But we're here, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13. Will you turn there? If you have a Bible, please, it would be great to follow along yourself, to read God's Word, and to help you hear what God is going to say to you through Matthew chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We find these words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. And bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Three parables that Jesus told. But first, what is the purpose of parables? I wonder how you would answer that. I remember growing up, and I just always thought that the reason Jesus spoke in parables was simply to make spiritual truths simple and clear. Did you know that actually that's not why Jesus used parables? Look at Matthew 13, beginning in verse 10. There we find these words in Matthew thirteen ten. Jesus had just told a parable, and in verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And listen to Jesus' answer from verses 11 through 15. Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, 
and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This answer is actually astonishing. And it also helps to answer the question that a lot of people ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? Now, what Jesus said here is that there are actually people in his world who do not wish to know him. There are people in God's world who do not want to understand God's truth. And those people are fully to blame for their disinterest, not God. And let's look at verse 12 just as a quick illustration of that truth. Verse 12 says, Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Peter Fowler spoke here um, recently on this passage. I think it was a few months back. And he said we can understand this spiritual truth by looking at it physically. He said that if you exercise your muscles, your muscles would grow. He who has will have more. If you do not exercise your muscles, over time they actually shrink and lose power. Even what they have will be taken from them. And you see that same illustration applies spiritually. Peter said that the Bible says to those who hunger and thirst for truth, the promise is they will find truth. And in fact, they will be given understanding to understand more and more. But those who do not want to know Jesus will move further and further away from understanding his truth. So the blame for unbelief rests upon those who, in their heart, for whatever reason, they do not wish to know God. And so we come to these three parables in Matthew 13, where a warning, a clear warning is given against refusing Jesus, and there's a warm loving invitation to embrace Jesus. So look at Matthew 13, the first two parables in verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In these two parables, there is something of ultimate and priceless value discovered. In order to obtain it, everything else is deemed of no value and is discarded and disregarded. And notice the phrase, sold all he had in the first parable and sold everything in the second. You see, quite clearly, the parable does not say the men rearranged things to make room for the new treasure. <laughs> Jesus did not say they got rid of a few things. The parable does not say they put everything in storage, which means they would still have access to the old stuff while enjoying the new treasure. No, the man sold all he had. He no longer had any ties to any of it, no commitment to them. He gave up his claim to own them, and they no longer had a claim on him. He was completely and forever 
separate from his old life. Now this treasure and the fine pearl in the parables represent Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is constantly, lovingly, truthfully calling people to give up everything to follow him. For example, in 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17, Jesus says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or Luke 14, 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Or Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You see, quite clearly, entering the kingdom of heaven, obtaining this priceless treasure that is Jesus, it it actually boils down to one essential truth. And that truth is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We all probably know that by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's all say that together, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just one more time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, based on that truth, let me ask you a few questions. Did you create the heavens and the earth? Does any human have ownership rights on creation? Are you the source and sustainer of all life? No. Then stop masquerading as God. Deny yourself. Die to the idea that you are God. Stop pretending that you can do a better job of ruling the world than even Donald Trump or Theresa May, let alone God. Stop pretending you are in control of situations. Stop living your life as if you knew for certain that you will be around one year from now when really you don't know if you'll be here 10 minutes from now. Stop it. See, because if you give up everything, you can become a follower of Jesus. But if you do not give up everything, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. In his book entitled Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller, he's an American pastor, he writes these words. He says, what thing, if you lost it, could almost mean that you would lose the will to live? What thing, if you lost it, would almost mean that all significance and value would be drained from your life. That item, that experience, that situation is your God. Well, that's a truthful but negative way of looking at the application of this parable. But you know, there's a positive way of applying the truth of this parable to our lives. And I love this. Here's what you do. You simply look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is God. He is righteous and he offers you his right standing before God. Jesus is all wise and he always does what's right and he offers you his counsel. Jesus has all authority. He has all power. He keeps all his promises. He numbers the stars and calls them by name. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And he wants to be your savior. He wants to be your best friend forever. What would you not give up to possess him? 
Well, the worth of giving up everything to follow Jesus is highlighted in, in just three letters in verse 44. Joy. In his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Possessing Jesus, following Jesus, is a joy. And then also the worth of giving up everything to follow Jesus is also highlighted in the third parable. And I warn you, it is a sobering parable. Let's read it again in verses 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As we journey through life, we will rub shoulders with, we will associate with, we will talk to, we will hear about many people who are pretending to be God. They will appear very confident in their beliefs. They'll appear very certain about their purpose in life and their direction in life. They'll be very positive, very satisfied. I met someone in the doors today. She happened to be a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, not today, uh, Friday. And she kept repeating, she's very happy with her belief, with her idea of God. These people will be very content. See, but this short parable informs us that the time of their rulership will come to an end. The days of their self-reign are numbered. There will be an end of the age. Folks, this age where homosexuals rejoice in getting married, this age when terrorists strike fear into normal activities like walking on a bridge or attending a concert, this age where people happily choose to drive by church to shop or play rugby instead, there will be an end to this age. And at the end of the age, the Bible clearly says the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. See, at the end of the age, there will only be two categories of people. And the wicked would be thrown into the blazing fire, the blazing furnace, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a sobering truth. And since it is true, I think it's worth understanding who are these wicked people who will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, according to the first two parables, those who miss the kingdom of heaven are those who do not prize Jesus. It is those who have not sowed everything. Instead, they hold on to certain situations or experiences or places or things or people, putting hope in those things to get them through life. It is people who play God and live according to their own rules. It's people like my sister. For most of the month of May, um, my family and I were in Texas, and I made it the top priority of that trip to witness to my family who's unsaved. 
And during one of the opportunities God gave us, um, my older sister, Deidre, she, we, we called her Dee Dee growing up, um, she was listening and asking questions and constantly defending her unbelief. And I gave her what I consider a very simple, plain, straightforward example of the biblical truth that we are all sinners and how easily and how simply we all fall short of God's standard every day. And because of that, we deserve this separation from God that we were speaking to her about. I said, Didi, if you drive just five miles over the speed limit, that's a sin. And she went ballistic. She said, God doesn't care if I drive five miles over the speed limit. She could not fathom that that made her guilty before God, that that proved that she was a sinner. What she could fathom, though, and she mentioned this by name, um, she could fathom Adolf Hitler deserving hell. But she cannot fathom that if she just drove five miles over the speed limit, that was evidence of her sinful nature, which is what we're trying to explain to her, that that's an act that shows that she's a sinner and therefore deserving of hell. You see, my sister Didi is basing her entrance into heaven on her own goodness, and that leads to huge problems for her and people like her. See, because within the realm of anyone's good life and good behavior, they have most certainly driven just five miles over the posted speed limit. So what a wicked person will do is they will extend the boundary of hell way past themselves to someone like Hitler. But they ignore the truth that what God has done is he set the boundary of who deserves to go to hell way below anyone's ability to perform those acts constantly. Therefore, a wicked person is not defined by having killed 11 million Jews, but by driving five miles per hour over the speed limit. Five miles per hour. When you leave here today, stay in your car. Find somewhere where you can drive at five miles per hour. Not five miles over the speed limit. Not five miles under the speed limit. But drive at five miles per hour. Because that's all it takes to be considered a wicked person, according to God's standard. And as humans, we tend to forget that we are just five miles per hour from eternity. We need to know that one day, each and every one of us wake up, and it will be our last day on earth. One day, you and I will wake up, and on that day, we will journey the last five miles we will ever travel on earth. We may be in a plane, or a car, or walking, or like Willie Hunter from Trinity Church in Exeter, you may die while jogging five miles. One day you'll wake up, and at some point during that day, it will be the last five minutes you ever spend on earth. Do you know that one day you will utter the last five words you will ever utter 
before God calls you into eternity. I worked with an evangelist named John Coppin in Exeter. One day, John and his wife Sue got into their car, right outside their house. They drove out of their driveway. They got to the end of their street. Sue was in the driver's seat, and she looked right, checking for traffic. John, in the passenger seat, looked left. And he said, it's clear on my side. Sue edged out, turned left, and noticed John slumped in his seat. He was dead. We will die. Or Jesus and his angels will return. Either way, on that day, there will be a separation. The wicked are those who play God and consider it acceptable to tell little white lies or drive five miles over the posted speed limit. Those who live in this manner will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that is not the fate of the righteous. So how does one obtain righteousness or a right standing before God? Well, you do what the men in the first two parables did. Leave everything. Place all hope, all of your life in Jesus alone. As I was growing up, one of my favorite hymns was Rock of Ages. And the words to that hymn speak powerfully to our need. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless Look to thee for grace. <coughs> Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Well, there's a very sensible question now to ask each one of you. Have you understood all these things? It's the question Jesus asked his followers in verse 51. You can read it there in verse 51 of Matthew 13. Have you understood all these things Jesus asked? The disciples said yes, meaning God had enabled them to understand and God had enabled them to live these things out. And we see that that's true because in Matthew verse 19, 27, Peter tells Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Is that your story? Is that true of yourselves. Have you understood all these things? If you do, you are living in the righteousness of Jesus and you have a joyful responsibility to proclaim Jesus. Look at verse 52 of Matthew 13. 
There Jesus says to those who've understood. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This means teaching the old, old Bible truths sometimes in new ways. And this is a good challenge Jesus gives those who believe. And you must practice it. Let me tell you a couple of ways I have taught old truths with new application. Uh, there was a girl in uh, university. I met her on the doors. I, I visit door by door and evangelize and met this girl and uh, discovered um, that she was studying computers. Now, the old truth I, I shared with her was that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this truth did not move her at all. And so I picked up on her desire to pursue uh, computers as a career. I said, you know how a virus can affect a computer? And, and, and how the microprocessor, the brain of the computer, um, is affected, and that affects every system of the computer? And she said, yes. And I said, your soul is like that microchip with a virus, and that virus is sin. And so your whole existence is under the influence of sin. And she understood and she thanked me more than once after that for, that for that explanation. And she asked for more information because now she wanted to know more. Another way I applied an old truth in a new way, I was in the changing room of my gym. And uh, there was another guy who had finished his workout the same time I did. We were changing and talking. And he wanted to get out of Exeter. He wanted to go to London where there was more opportunity, more to do, and, of course, a better nightlife. And I told him, you know, I lived in London and that I discovered a better source of life and happiness than even London. And he was very curious about this. And when I began to tell him about Jesus being the life in you and not finding satisfaction in life around you, he dressed as fast as he could and left as fast as he could, saying, I left that behind a long time ago. Uh, see, so using the method that Jesus commands, you will still encounter wicked people, people who do not want to know God. But you will also meet people like this university girl who wants to know more. So, in conclusion, you need to do three things in response to these parables. First, practice being like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. No, really, do that. Go home, sit in your house, look at objects around your house, and practice applying biblical truth to them that you can pass on to others. It could be the chair you're sitting in, and you think, I can tell somebody this. Just as you have faith in that chair supporting you, believe that Jesus will never let you down. Or you may be looking at the light, and you may tell somebody, you know how you turn on a light in a dark room and you can see clearly? Well, Jesus said he is the light. Let him guide you through life. And so hopefully you get the idea. Well, the second thing you must do is drive at five miles per hour and realize how close you are to entering your eternal destination. But most importantly, each of you must answer the question that Jesus asked. Have you understood all these things? Well, we're going to close by